but I, I, I did find that this was an astonishing admission. Welcome to the Ryan Holmes podcast, where our goal is to encourage Christian thinking and Christian living. This week, we are bringing you episode number 24. And before we get started, if you are enjoying the podcast, would you please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review? That will just help boost its reach and visibility so the podcast can get in front of more people, and so that would be a huge help to us. You can also do the same thing on whatever audio platform that you are currently using, and that'll just be a huge help. And you could also support the podcast and the work that I'm doing financially by joining our Locals community, and you can check out ryanholmespodcast.locals.com and subscribe for just $5 a month, and you will get additional perks that are specific to our Locals community members. And as the community grows, the perks will also grow. And you can also check out some merch at our store. It's called wretchredeemed.com. That's wretchredeemed, W-R-E-T-C-H, redeemed.com. And you can check that out to get some merch today. And if you are part of the Locals community, you can uh, get 10% off every single order in our store. So please check those things out. If you do prefer video format, would you check out um, our YouTube page and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel there, like the videos, comment, um, that'll just, that will also help boost its reach and visibility as well. And if you have any questions about today's episode, the podcast, uh, faith in general, um, the Bible, whatever it is, whatever comes to mind, you can send me an email at ryanholmespodcast at gmail.com. So please send me your questions there. And, um, I will link to everything in the show notes below, so you'll be able to find it all down there. So thank you for allowing me to take those few minutes, and I hope that you enjoy today's episode. Today we are bringing you a, it it is a sad story, but it is another faith loss story. Um, It's the second story of, that I will be assessing from the Preacher Boys podcast Most of you will know that I did an assessment of, uh, it was episode 16, I did an assessment of um, Eric, he is the the host of the Preacher Boys podcast, and I did an assessment of his um, deconversion, deconstruction, whatever word you want to use, his story, and we covered that again in episode 16. Uh, Today we are going to be talking about Jacqueline Chappell's story. And um, again, the the goal, the same, it's the same goal that I had with episode 16 when I covered Eric's story. Uh, And the goal is to address what was said. It's not to attack the person, um, not to assume as best as I can motives, um, but to just address the ideas that are being presented. The reason I do this is because there is an overlap into my world. And so Eric, Jacqueline, her husband, Travis, um, and myself all come from what's called the independent fundamental Baptist world or denomination, whatever you want to call it. And there is, there's an overlap into my world, obviously, as I mentioned, and a connection to a lot of my friends, a lot of my extended family. And this 
this this story reaches a lot of those people. So if you are not if you're not a part of the the IFB denomination or you've ever experienced that before, uh, please don't check out because a lot of the ideas being presented aren't specific to the the IFB world, and they're they're not really anything new. There's not really they're not really new ideas. There's nothing new under the sun, and so. It, it, but I think it would be still helpful for you, no matter who you are, whether you have the connection to the IFB world or not. These are are helpful things just in the grand scope of the Christian faith and worldview. So, uh, so, so it's going to be helpful for for anybody, no no matter who you are. And I wish that there there could be a lot more to address in this discussion and a lot more to dissect. Um, but unfortunately, there's not. There there still is important things to talk about. But I was hoping just for like I was in episode 16 when I covered Eric's story, I was hoping just for a little bit more, whether it's an actual objection to the Christian faith and not object, not an objection to Christians specifically. Um, I was hoping for more of those challenges, but, but unfortunately we're not going to get those entirely in this episode, but again, still good things to talk about. And so next week we will be covering uh, Travis Chapel's story. So um, that's why it's kind of a, a trilogy here, and we'll be talking about that next week. So so tune in and check that out, and you can also give me your thoughts on this week and next week's episodes. And I look forward to that. Uh, I won't be talking about Jacqueline's kind of story. Like, um, well, I am talking about her story. Sorry, her her background. Because as she describes, her experiences growing up in the, the IFB world were mostly positive, she said. And so I'm not going to be kind of getting too much into that. But I will be covering just some of the ideas that are presented and thoughts being presented in in this, this interview. And I'll be doing it. I'm just going to share clips. So I'll play some clips for you, and then I'll, I'll assess what was said in those clips. So that's kind of how we're going to do it today. And so I, I hope that you will enjoy this first kind of group of clips. There's going to be three clips that I'm going to show you. The reason I'm showing you three or allow or playing three for you is so or they basically kind of fall under one category. And so that's why I'm doing them all together in a lump sum approach. So uh, so here's clip number one and, and a little bit of context. This is just Jacqueline talking basically to the people who are still Christians and still in that world. Um, so this is kind of who she's who she's addressing, essentially. So take a listen. The hard, only hard part for me now is that I know that they know, I know that they see the way I live my life now and that disappoints them and that, that sucks. It does, yeah. like it does, because I think that they do so genuinely care about me and I wish that I could like get across them that I'm, I, I'm not a bad person. I'm okay. Yeah, that yeah. I'm okay, I'm not a bad person. So what I want to kind of hone in on uh, when it is really what she talks about at the end there, saying I'm not a bad person. All right, we're going to be going somewhere with this, so I'll play you the uh, the second clip here, and this kind of kicks off this click. This clip uh, kicks off with uh, her just talking about her parents and being raised in in the Christian faith and and whatnot. So take a listen to this clip number two. 
people can realize that I don't think, I think that they were doing 1000% the best that they felt they could do in the situation. Like, I think that they did better than their parents did. And that's what I hope to do better than my parents did. And like, it goes down and down the line. And I don't think that like, I don't 100% think my mom and dad were bad people by any sense. Like, I think that they felt like the church environment they were in was our best chance of being good humans in life. And I think Mm. that we're all good humans in life. I think that they did a good job at that, you know, and that is the hardest part is like, I don't want people to look back and I don't look at any of those people. Like you said, they genuinely are doing it the best that they can in the situation they're given. And like, and that is my responsibility to do the best that I'm in that I can do in the situation that I'm given. And I can see now why I don't think that that's the situation I want to raise my kids in. And I hope that everybody can see that aspect of just because I'm choosing to not raise my kids the way that my parents chose to raise me doesn't mean that like I'm bitter at them and angry at them for the way that they raised me for that. Cause I'm not, I'm genuinely not at all. I just feel like at the point that I'm at life, I want to raise my kids different because of how I, feel strongly about my moral compass and my moral beliefs. Okay. Again, at the end of there, she talks about my moral compass and my moral belief. Um, And I'll get to clip number three. So listen to this. We still want to be morally good people. We still want to have a moral compass. We still want to raise good human children. We still want to live a good life. We still want to experience life. Like we still want to be the best version of ourselves, but we have no idea where to start. We don't know. Like if you take the God equation out of your situation or the religion or everything else, like where do you start? Where do you start figuring out life? Where do you start figuring out your moral systems? Where do you start figuring out your life philosophy? Where do you start figuring out parenting? Where do you start figuring out having a good relationship with your spouse? So there's, within those clips, there's a lot of, of talk about morals, about being a good person, about living a good life, about having a moral framework for your life, uh, a lot of use of value language and value judgments. And um, they, have, they have a desire to live moral lives. And that, that's commendable. I, I commend that. That's, that's, that. that's a good thing. It's a, it's a good thing to live a good life as opposed to living an evil life. That's... That's a good thing. But the questions, there's questions that begin to to come into my mind, especially when you talk about um, removing God from the equation, removing religion from the equation, because she talked about not knowing where to start and, and so on. So the question does arise in my mind is, what do you mean by good? Another question would be, what do you mean by a moral framework? When we speak of of good versus evil, we're talking about ways in which we should or should not live. So we should do good and we should not do evil. So so we have a moral obligation to do good, or in other words, a duty to do good, to do right. Um, But here's the thing. Laws always come from lawgivers. Laws do not make sense outside of a lawgiver. If there are ways in which we should live and ways in, there's, there's, there's ways in which we should not live, it only makes sense if there is someone to be accountable to. So a moral framework or an objective, an objective moral framework only makes sense if God actually exists. If God does not exist, then objective moral values and duties do not exist. If God does not exist, you are nothing more than a cosmic 
accident. You are complex space dust, a moist robot, if you will. There is nothing right or wrong. There is no good or evil. There is no meaning. There is no value. And there is no purpose to your life. On atheism, you cannot ground any belief in objective moral values and duties. Now, you can create some moral structure for your life, but at the end of the day, it's all fantasy and delusion. The Christian, however, can ground a belief in objective moral values and duties because they are rooted in the perfect nature of God. There is a standard we can point to beyond simply the mind of the human being where we can actually say that something is objectively good or evil based on that standard. On atheism, there is no standard beyond the human mind, so it's simply up to the individual. Nothing is actually right or wrong. Nothing is good or evil. It's, it's simply up to you. You can, you can effectively do whatever you want, and you can never tell somebody that whatever they're doing, their thoughts, their actions are wrong or right. Again, you can, you can create, come up with some sort of moral structure for your life, but at the end of the day, it is ultimately fantasy and delusion. So removing God from the equation, removing religion, actually negates the ability to justify or ground a belief in actual right and wrong, good or evil. If you want to apply objective moral values to your life, you actually have to steal from a theistic worldview in order to do so. Now, this doesn't mean that that an atheist cannot be moral, okay? This is often twisted um, into suggesting that uh, I would suggest that an atheist can't be moral. That's not true, because there are a lot of atheists that live better lives than a lot of Christians, and I won't argue with that. What it does mean, though, is that you cannot ground a belief in any actual moral values if you remove God from the equation. So that's kind of the first thing I wanted to break down for us. So let's, let's move on to clip number four. Clip number four. And I would just, I just remember I, those, those, that was just a, such an eye-opening time for me because I remember being so frustrated with the fact that like I was raised in this culture of God and the Bible. And there were so many answers that I had zero idea why, because I was so good at following the rules. I was so good at being the good girl. I was so good at all those things that I never knew why I did for myself. I never had to, I never had to answer those questions. And, and he genuinely at that point too, was in the questioning phase for himself. But it was, I just remember being such an eye opening. I was still looking for somebody else to fix the problem for mm-hmm. me. I was buying the case for Christ videos because I didn't have the answers to give my husband of why he needed to believe in God and why God was real. So I was still looking to somebody else to be that belief system of, of you give him all the facts that he needs. So she was talking about the time where uh, I guess Travis, her husband was going through difficulties and asking questions and, and whatnot. And then that's, that's fair. That's understandable. And that she didn't, she just didn't have the answers. She didn't have answers to the why questions, the big questions of life the challenges to Christianity. And and I do think this is rather sad. Um, and I think it might be, I, I don't necessarily know whether to put all the blame on her, to be quite honest. I think this could be a reflection of the culture that she grew up in. And um, because I've experienced that in the culture that, that uh, the same culture that I was in at the time. And um, 
where, where questions can be actually seen as disrespectful and you don't ask questions, you don't challenge authority, and um, you, 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 you trust and believe what you're being told. And so I think this, this is kind of a, a reflection on, uh, a, f- a reflection of what, what she grew up in, and it, it is very sad. And uh, I ask, I wonder, I wonder, is it, is it her fault or the fault of the Christian pastors and leaders that, that she was around her, her really her entire life? And uh, it brings up the questions, have, have young Christians been equipped with these answers, with, with these why answers to the why questions? And I would argue that the church is, is doing a poor job, and we need to, um, through Christian apologetics, better equip young people to, to face the tough questions and, and interact um, regularly with the tough questions and don't hide from them, them and don't run from them. Because I think that the truth is going to um, shine through those, and um, you can find answers to the big questions. Not every question, but... To, to most of the big questions, there's, there's answers out there. So it was, it was rather sad hearing that, for sure. Next, let's uh, move on to the next clip. Legitimately, <laughs> yeah. though, yeah. And it was just like, I didn't know why he was preaching from the Old Testament. Like, I felt like we're not under the old law. So, like, why am I listening to, like, this preacher talk about, like, he's just, like, interpreting the story, which is fine. And it had good values from it. But he, he was teaching as if, like, that was the fact. And I was like, okay, but then, like, everything else in the Old Testament, then we should follow every single law from the Old Testament. If you're mm-hmm. telling me I should follow this law from the Old Testament. And then, just like, at the end of the day, like, it's still just man taking the Bible and interpreting it however they feel they should. And every preacher could preach. I mean, you could get a hundred preachers with the same exact verse and they could all get a different lesson out of it, which to an extent is good and fine, but like you can't like judge me on it and like choose your life rules from it at that point and expect me just to like, be like, okay, because like whatever church I go to at the time, like that's what set of rules I'm going to follow. So this, um, this obviously does bring up an important question, and the question is, why is the Old Testament important? Because she, the context is she was at a church, and the pastor was was preaching from the Old Testament, and then she obviously just said everything she said, and you heard it. Um, so this does bring about the question of why is the Old Testament important? And and this won't be an exhaustive response because we have a lot, have a lot of clips to get to, but, but I'll just give a few reasons as to why... Um, the Old Testament is important. Number one, Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. So, I mean, that's a pre- pretty big deal. Uh, if if Jacqueline at the time once affirmed the New Testament, New Testament at, at the very least, um, it does say that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And Jesus thought the Old Testament was scripture. So therefore it must be profitable for at least something. Um, then she brought up the issue of if we follow one law of the Old Testament, then we must follow all. And this, this is indeed a false assumption because there are laws that are specific to the nation of Israel. And then there are laws given that, that would be considered universal laws. And, um, you know, we're not under the old covenant. We're not under the law as believers, as followers of Christ. Um, and he's fulfilled all of that. But how do we know what to still follow or what would be considered universal. And we would probably have to get into all these individual and specific examples to really unpack it all, but, but a, a, a safe, a safe uh, understanding at the very least, or a basic understanding is asking the question, is it echoed in the New Testament? 
is it echoed in the New Testament? If it is, then we do hold to it as, as a universal um, prescriptive um, uh, way we should live. And uh, but, but in other reasons why the Old Testament is important is knowing history. Uh, show, uh, the fact that it shows it's part of um, God's redemptive plan revealed to mankind. And ultimately, Old, the Old Testament points us to Jesus. We see Jesus in the Old Testament, and it points us to Jesus. And, um, you know, you could say you wouldn't have the New Testament without the Old Testament. So it's, it is important. Um, Another thing that she brought up is, you know, you could you could get a, a hundred different pastors that would would give a hundred different messages um, to. I don't know if she just met the Old Testament or Scripture in general, but and and that's true. Uh, there's a lot of different messages that can come from one one passage, but we need to understand the difference between interpretation and application. There's many different applications to a text, but there's only one interpretation, and even th there's a lot of incorrect interpretations, and I'm sure I've interpreted interpreted scripture wrong before, but there is only one interpretation because the author of whatever book you're studying had a specific context, a specific audience, and um, so so that should always drive uh, our, our interpretation of the text is trying to understand the author's intent behind it. And um, so I think there's a, a, a misunderstanding between interpretation interpretation and application there. And at the end there, she talked about, you know, whatever church she'd be going to would be the rules that she would be following at the time. And this is a sad admission. And, and again, I don't, I don't know if it's her fault or, the, you know, the fault lies on her shoulders or the shoulders of those who um, taught her growing up. And because this is a sad admission um, to really not knowing what the gospel is. If you believe the gospel is simply about following rules, then it's it's very apparent that you've missed the point, which which is sad for sure. Next clip. It was just like phases. And then after I stopped going to church, then it was more of just like a personal development stage for me. And sure. it was de definitely just like deep diving into like my own now emotional like ways my mind is so really brainwashed into all of these belief systems that I had. So this is something that uh, not only Jacqueline talks about, but I, I, but Travis does and Eric does a little bit, just using different language and whatnot. But uh, this idea of being brainwashed as, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, growing up in a Christian environment, um, are Christians brainwashed? Well, I, my question would be, how do you define brainwashed? Because, sure, there are certainly things within the IFP world where where traditions kind of um, supersede uh, all else, even even foundational biblical teaching. So, so that's that's an area that I could agree with. But but again, how do you define define being brainwashed? Because if if being brainwashed is is simply being taught by your parents what they believe to be true with the hope at least or the expectation that you adopt this same worldview then every single person that has ever lived in the entire world through the course of human history has been brainwashed whether religious or not even the atheist they teach their children the same worldview that they hold to with the hope 
that they adopt that worldview. So if if this is the standard, then then everybody's been been brainwashed. But that says nothing as to whether that worldview is true or not. And um, another thing to note that you also hear a little bit of this language used throughout their discussions as well is um, the idea that um, you believe what you believe based on where you're from or what culture you um, grew up in. This is what's known as the genetic fallacy that uh, you hold the beliefs that you hold based on simply where you're from. Um, and um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a logically fallacious way of arguing because it, it really doesn't say anything as to whether those views are true or not. And, um, and so that's just another thing to, to make note of as well, um, that that's called the genetic fallacy. But uh, let's move to clip number seven. So it wasn't so much spending a lot of time diving deep into it. It was more like a why this. No, like, I think because I never dive deep into the reason, which I feel bad even saying, but I think because I didn't dive deep into it when I was in it and I just followed it, it was pretty easy for me to not dive deep into why I fell out of it. Yeah. So this is interesting. And at the very least, she openly admits that she feels bad for admitting it. But this is something, if it were me, uh, I'd probably never admit it publicly. And basically what she's saying, I never thought about it to begin with. So why think about what I think about it now? I never thought about what I believe to begin with. So why think about why I believe now? You think it would be kind of the opposite. I never thought about it. So maybe I should start thinking about it. And that's the reason why I left. I, I don't know. You think it'd be different. But at the very least, I will give her credit. She She's open and she's honest about it. She's transparent. It's not like she's she left for emotional reasons and then she's like, oh, I left for intellectual reasons. Or she left because she didn't think about it and then she says, I left because of intellectual reasons. At least she's, she is, she's open and upfront about it. But, um, but I, I, I did find that this was an astonishing admission. Next clip, clip number eight. I think there's value in trying to understand what, what's there, what's the reason it's compelling to people. On the other hand, like we don't do that with every other belief system. Yes. Like a thousand percent. You don't go, I need to study this out to see if I believe it. Like we don't do that with any other system except for the one that we're Which, in. Exactly. And that's exactly why I think I didn't was because once I realized the fact of like, no matter if I'm going to do it for one fairly and like I have to do it to all of them and I was not committed enough to do that so like honestly though and it was because it was that it was not if, if I'm going to do this for one lift and that is always my argument when I know like I have these friends who genuinely love and care about me and ask me those questions and I'm like okay but like you literally can't unless you're willing to see every single other perspective of anybody else who was raised just the opposite that you were raised in a different part of the world than you were raised then it's literally not fair for you to expect them to drop every belief system they have yeah. and accept the one that you have. So again, you'll hear a little bit of the genetic fallacy there. We're talking about people being raised in a different different part of the world or different context. But um, and so Eric and Jacqueline both kind of affirmed this, that, you know, we don't study, we don't study every other world view. Um, so fairly, if we're going to say that ours is true or and somebody else isn't else else's worldview is not true, then we have to study every single other perspective um, first. So do we have to study every single other perspective first in order to have a, any confidence in our own position? 
Uh, no, this, this is entirely, entirely untrue. Whatever you learn, you do not look at every single perspective before you come to a conclusion. I can guarantee you that neither of them looked at every single perspective before abandoning their faith. So does it follow that if you don't look at every perspective, then you can't have confidence in your own conclusions? No. Like I said, that's just not true. I mean, when you were taught about the law of gravity, did you say, sorry, I need to look at every other alternative theory regarding gravity? No, you had good reason to believe that it was correct. When you were taught 2 plus 2 equals 4, you didn't say, sorry, I need to look at every other perspective on the question of what 2 plus 2 equals. No, you had good reason to believe it was correct. Another example, if Jesus did indeed rise from the dead, which we have good reason to believe he did, then you don't need to go off and study every single other religion because that simple truth of Jesus rising from the dead excludes all others decisively, suggesting that we need to look at every single perspective before we come to a legitimate conclusion is a poor logical argument and ends up really in absurdity if you actually apply it consistently in every area to your life. All right, next clip. That like, and I, it's way more likely for me to believe in like a higher power than an explosion. Like that just seems so like crazy to me that it would just like explode into this perfect world that we have. So but like, also it's going to because you were told that was crazy. This one's very interesting because Eric attempts to convince Jacqueline that the only reason she thinks it's crazy is that, that, our, that our world just exploded and our, our perfect world exploded from nothing. Um, is because she's been told to think that it's crazy. I actually commend her for uh, for saying this, for for her her belief in this, because she's completely justified, completely justified. Because it's not just simply what she's always been told. She's been told to think that it's crazy. The scientific data actually suggests this. The scientific data tells us that time, space, and matter had a beginning at the beginning of our universe, or you can call it the Big Bang, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But time, space, and matter are co-relative. You cannot have one without the other. Stephen Hawking had this to say about our universe beginning. He says this, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Even Richard Dawkins had this to say, of course, it's counterintuitive that you can get something from nothing. Of course, common sense doesn't allow you to get something from nothing. That's why it's interesting. It's got to be interesting to give rise to the universe at all. Something mysterious had to give rise to the origin of our universe. So something had to have caused these things to come into existence. Whatever caused these things to come into existence could not be within time because time had a beginning. It could not be within space because space had a beginning and it could not be made of material because material had, material had a beginning. If this first cause had to do with any of those things, then time, space, and matter would have to have existed before they existed in order to create themselves. So something had to have caused these things to come into existence. This is what's known as the law of causality. It states that everything that comes to be or everything that has a beginning has a cause. This is foundational to the scientific endeavor. If you don't have the law of causality, then you don't have science itself. So it would take a greater amount of faith 
to believe that all of this came into ex existence out of nothing than it would be to believe that there was an intelligent, powerful cause behind it all. Next clip. Why I feel like it's all the same. I, I think at the end of the day, like you might call it Buddha because of where you were raised and I might call it God because of the way that I was raised and he might call it, you know, whatever he's going to call it because of the way he was raised. But at the end of the day, like it's still the higher power in my opinion is all the same thing. Humans just took that as they do and history as it does has evolved and changed into a way that it's changed it to. But ultimately, I just think I truly believe it's the same thing. Like the creator of the universe is the creator of the universe and whatever you choose to call it is what you choose to call it. And no. there's no right or wrong to that. Again, you'll hear a little bit of the genetic fallacy in there, but uh, uh, she raises a question, a good question. Are all religions the same? This is a, a very typical argument from people who, who really don't have a basic understanding of what other religions teach. Sure, there are some teachings that are overlapping and common throughout most religions, like loving your neighbor, um, treating somebody the way you would want to be treated, you know, the golden rule, you might call it. But what is important is not what they have in common, but rather the areas that they differ. For example, Christians believe that salvation is in Jesus alone. Muslims believe salvation is in converting to Islam. Jews believe salvation is found in, is in converting to, to Judaism. Another example, Christians believe Jesus died by crucifixion. Muslims believe Jesus was never crucified. Jews believe Jesus didn't rise from the dead. I mean, do I have to continue? Religions make exclusive, mutually exclusive claims about reality. This means, logically, not all religions can be the same. Therefore, not all religions are the same. All right, let's move on to the next clip here. This is actually one that I agree with, so we're going to have common ground on this one. Take truth wherever you find it, and that's what I feel like the biggest problem with this world that we've came from is like you like you said you you discredit truth if it's not from the right person this is something that i i agree with uh discrediting truth if it's not from the right person and so this i think this is this is common um within the circles that you know the ifb movement it's it's true that uh, there's a sense of um disagreeing or dismissing something that somebody has to say based on their worldview or even their doctrinal position. So even a fellow brother and sister in Christ, uh, you dismiss everything they say because they don't line up with you on this one particular issue. So there is a, an attitude of that, uh, maybe not with everybody, but, but it is present at, at the very least. And so I think you should really have a chew and spit method when it comes to consuming information and content from somebody. You can, you can take truthful things from an atheist and disregard the things that aren't truthful. You can take truthful things from a Christian and disregard things that aren't truthful or aren't biblical. I think that's a balanced approach and that's something that I would actually agree with. So, hey, we got a positive there on this on this episode. But uh, all right, next clip. This one is a very, very important clip. So please, please listen closely. When you say we're searching for truth, what does truth mean to you? Do you believe it's an objective thing? No, I don't. I think that that is the biggest thing in life that I have learned that is so hard for me to admit. I think that there is a lot of gray and that's literally if I broke it down to what this podcast is supposed to be is that is that life is not black and white. Life is so ever changing that I just don't think I don't think that truth is black and white life 
in a, so many ways was so much easier when I viewed life as black and white, but I just, I don't think it is. I don't think that it is black and white. I think that there is way too many moving parts to life for it to be back black and white. And I think that it's all gray. So this is very, very interesting. Um, you know, she says that she believes that truth is gray. And she was asked by Eric at the beginning, do you believe truth is objective? And she says, no. Um, so the first kind of question that would come to mind is, what do you mean by life is gray? What do you mean by life is gray? Yeah, sure. There are things in life that are gray, that are that are muddy, that are unknown or even unknowable. But there are also things that are, are pretty black and white, pretty rigid. I mean, I think about the laws of mathematics, the laws of physics, the the over 100 plus cosmo cosmological constants. And these things are pretty, pretty rigid. So again, what do you mean by, by life is gray? I think that would be need to be expounded on to, to, to create anything productive. Um, uh, but, uh, but let me just address the, the couple statements. The statement number one would be truth is not objective, or the statement life is gray. These are objective truth claims. They are truth claims about reality. What you are saying when you say truth is not objective or that life is gray, you are saying this is what life is. It seems to be communicating that life is either gray or nothing else, which would be bringing you very close back to a black and white perspective. Now, to avoid this problem, the best you could say, and actually as Jacqueline did at the end there of the clip, is the best you could say is, I think life is gray, but this would be taken as an article of faith and nothing more. And if somebody who holds to a life is gray perspective or truth is not objective position, the moment they begin to debate me on this, they would immediately be undercutting their position because they would be trying to tell me that my position is wrong and that theirs is right. This is either or thinking or in other words, black and white. Clip number 14. Oh, this is the last clip. Not even paying attention. That's great. But this is the final clip of the episode. So let's get to it. You know, whatever it is, and just like, and having like, I would love to have like retreats for people. Like, I think that the church has it right in so many of those ways and like building that community the of people. The only difference is you have to fit their guidelines. Exactly. And this, yeah. I don't want to be, and I feel like I hate that too. I don't want to be like the church for people who hate church. Like I'm that, that's not what this is either. Like it's just oh. a place to just be real and know that like you have your struggles and I have my struggles and we're all on this journey figuring we're it out. We're all doing together. life together. We are though. And, <laughs> yeah. But like, but, but, it, don't, but, but you don't have to fit those standards. It, but you don't it's have to the hit verbiage. those rules. It, yes. it, it's almost like the, like it's almost bringing to life what I think so many church communities are promising, yeah. which is we're doing life together. We're all broken people. We're all doing this. And to the point, like when we hear, Oh, we're all doing life together. We're broken. Like it's like right now, like it's a puke, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> yeah, we are, but I'm not doing it your way. So I'm out, yep. you know? And it's like, man, I would love, I'd love for it to be like when we sit down and talk and like, we all knowingly disagree about so many things, yeah. but we can still be friends yes. and like have respect for each other. Yep. So I, this is sad to me because I wish they would have brought in their horizons. Um, there are churches out there that make good on what they are promising, that we are broken people doing life together. And I can say that because I've experienced it. Um, 
But of, of course, a religious community is going to say, hey, this is what we believe, and we're not going to move on our core positions. You're welcome to be here, but don't expect us to change our beliefs to fit your desires. Um, and that's the thing about really any community, religious or not. I mean, I'm sure that Eric and Jacqueline are on Facebook, are on Instagram, are on YouTube. There's community guidelines. There's community guidelines for secular, non-religious groups out there that if you don't um, line up to these positions or if you don't act in a certain way in accordance with the guidelines, then then they'd rather you not be there. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't understand why it would be an issue if you know a Christian community does it, a religious community does it, but it's not an issue if a non-religious community does it. I just, I, that just doesn't really make sense to me. So do these rules apply to just religious people and not, not non-religious people? So these are questions that immediately come to my mind, but it seems like they want, they want church. They just don't want everything that makes the church, the church, unfortunately. But, you know, that has been, um, tried my best to 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 bring about bring out you know the most important things there was there's more clips that I that I had I just didn't want to spend too much more time on that um and get into really minor things but I hope that was helpful for you and you know this 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 really my approach with this is really not it sounds bad but it's not for Jacqueline it's not for Eric um it's really for those who who are following along and listening I just want to point out the issues with the types of arguments that are being raised and the, the types of challenges that are being raised and the questions and whatnot. And again, so far we haven't heard any robust challenge to Christianity specifically, um, but there still has been good things that, that, are, that are common, um, typical questions being asked all over the internet, challenges all over the internet and whatnot. So I hope this, that this was helpful to you today. But that'll be it. I'll cut it off there for this week's episode. And thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions, again, a thought, a comment, um, please send me an email to ryanholmespodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to visit ryanholmespodcast.locals.com to join our community. I appreciate any support. And if you're on the YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell, and ultimately please share this episode and this podcast and let's encourage others to think about their faith and live it out. See you next week.